0: Welcome back. We hope you've been behaving yourself. This is Jackie Noto. And this is Mary Lewis. Welcome to Behave Yourself, a
1: podcast on BA without the BS. Jackie, what is your candy of the week? From melted gummies to Kit Kats, how's it really been going?
0: This week for me, I'm having a Smarties week. Now, as a child, Smarties were my favorite candy. As an adult, less so because, you know, We just have so many options nowadays, but as a kid, my favorite was a good smarty. I love the little lineup of those different sweet, sour, little chalky treats. Um, And for me, you know, this week has been, it's been okay. It hasn't been top tier, but it hasn't been awful. I'm in like the, I'm, if like our top is stellar, Mm -hmm. then under that is great. Under that is good. Under that is okay. I'm between good and great. Okay. So not all the way up, but in like a decent zone. Something actually that helped me to be in this decent zone. Um I've realized something in doing this podcast. So I don't know how if anyone else feels this way, but historically I have always hated the sound of my own voice. Hated the sound of my own voice. And Obviously, each week before our episodes go out, Mary and I both listen to the sounds of both of our voices and (laughs) edit that audio before we post it. And something I found in doing this podcast, probably just due to root desensitization, is I no longer am like agitated, annoyed, or dislike my voice because I have to listen to it every week. Where now when I'm listening, I'm like, oh, I love this podcast. (laughs) Like when I listen to the podcast, it feels like I'm listening to someone else's podcast. So it's nice because I, one, I think we all judge ourselves harsher than we judge other people, but two, that desensitization of hearing what my own voice sounds like and that it isn't as annoying as I think it is or boisterous or egotistical or just loud. And like my fears are being identified as annoying, loud, overbearing too much. And in, same. <laughs> in listening to the episodes, it's been helpful for me to Hear me the way that other people get to hear me. So I've enjoyed that, and I think that's part of what's made this week a smarties week for me.
1: Oh, I love that. My therapist recently told me I need to be gaslighting myself into being more confident, and that very much aligns because I actually listen back. Editing is hard because I'm like, what am I? How many how many times am I going to say specifically? You know, like how many times do you have to cut yeah. it out? But once it's edited fully, I've I've looked over it. Jackie's glanced over it and I'm listening to what's been published, I like to listen to it because it almost, I'm like, I said that, like I, Jackie said that, I know Jackie, like we, our brains work, like we are qualified, like we are sharing, we're helping, we're adding value to the world. Like, so it's, it is a really, it is a really cool experience because I also was the tiny child whose teacher was like, you're talking too loud, you're talking too much, you need to stop, so
0: Mary have I ever told you this story from my childhood maybe as we know I was Matilda as a kid right reading all the books yada yada and I used to raise my hand for every single question because I knew the answer all the time yes but this is a good story please tell it on the pod the teacher pulled me aside one class and she goes sweetie I know that you know all the answers you don't have to raise your hand anymore. If we don't know the answer, I'll call on you. So I was told this like a child, don't raise your hand anymore, thanks.
1: <laughs> yep, and here we are on a podcast,
0: just sharing our thoughts as loud as can be and I could not be happier. Yeah, I love it, I love it. And on that, um, a real quick thing I tried, which also plays into the Smarties Week from the note that you just said, your therapist said, gaslight yourself. Into it's being all this- confident, yeah. Yeah, I saw this tip. I know I gaslight myself the wrong way all the time. I do
1: too. She's like, keep gaslighting, but just in a way of making yourself feel confident. Trust me. And I was
0: like, okay. That's how I became hot. I started telling myself I was hot. (laughs) Right. Nigalski sisters. uh, On a similar note, I saw a TikTok and it was like, the way you feel when you're nervous or excited is the same way that you feel when you have anxiety. So instead of being like, I have anxiety because of this thing say, I'm excited because of this thing. And the example I saw on TikTok, the girl was like, I'm excited for everyone at work to hate me. And I laughed about it. But then when it came to working on my research, I normally get anxiety about that imposter syndrome, feeling like I don't belong, needs of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. So instead I was like, and I said it out loud to make it even more real. I went, I'm excited to work on my grant. And then I was like, oh, oh wow that worked oh that worked real easy so definitely that's a great gaslight to try switch those feelings of anxiety to feelings of excitement if it works use it wow
1: they really are in the same response class and I've never thought about it that way I will be trying that and yes saying it saying it out loud matters you think it doesn't matter it matters say it out loud say those positive affirmations out loud tact how you're feeling out loud, gaslight yourself into confidence out loud. What is your candy this week? I'm feeling delusionally good regardless of the stress that I feel. I'm not sure if, I'm sure other people can relate to that. That's just where I'm at. I'm having a strawberry sour patch week, which are my favorite sour patches. I feel good, but I'm not necessarily like having the best week. I have had some stressors. And I just don't care. It's I'm celebrating the holiday season starting now, and I'm just doing it little by little. It's been very reinforcing. I'm having a good week, regardless of what's gonna be thrown at me. I love that. I love that resilience, baby. Bounce back, bounce back. Amen. Okay, well, you already gave us a wreck. Another secret wreck. We, we love a secret wreck before the wreck, before the meat and potatoes or veggies of the podcast, which are all
0: wrecks, <laughs> but. Shall we talk about a wreck? Jackie, would you like to share? I would love to share. So as we're, so listen, I originally had one wreck listed here. I think I'm going to have to switch it because I don't think it's going to apply to a lot of you by the time this episode comes out. My original wreck was to crunch some leaves if you still have them. Uh, But our recording is advanced compared to when they're released. So I know a lot of my Northern friends are already in snow season So I'm going to do a flip here and give instead another recommendation on that same manipulate yourself for the good realm. There is a talk I watched the other day and they were discussing uh, increasing neuroplasticity and creating new neural pathways in your brain as you continue on as an adult. Brush your teeth with your wrong hand in the morning. Listen, I first started doing it and I was like, this sucks. Like as someone who operates in an efficiency standpoint, I was like, I cannot brush my teeth fast on this side, but that's the point you're creating new pathways here. I've not heard
1: the toothbrushing one. I'm going to try that. And the self-love segue into another thing my therapist recommended at target. They have, it's like cards against humanity, but their self-love and you pull them out and you ask um, questions and they're all about self-love. And she tried to ask me a few in session and I um couldn't answer them. And she was like, okay, that's okay. We're not there yet. You should buy this and read some of these questions and ask yourself. We love a self-love and we love talking out loud. Like we said, power of saying it out loud. It really makes a difference. You know, first of all, you just gave us like five recs, which we really appreciate. Rec city, rec, yes. rec, city. I can say on behalf of anyone who's listening to this podcast and myself, we thank you for the multitude of recommendations. One of them relates to my recommendation, which is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a layman terms phrase and then I'm going to give you some behavior analytic assessment that I learned in my OBM supervision course that Dr. Kristen Peterson teaches. She's incredible and amazing. You should sign up if you're interested in getting OBM mentorship and supervision. tag the information in our description my layman terms recommendation is take time to throw out bad energy we are entering the holiday celebration season there's a lot of stuff going on correct me if i'm wrong but in academia i feel like there is a blissful ignorance that happens and right before the week of thanksgiving it's like everybody wakes up and they're like wait this is due on this date which is in three weeks And I expect you to work during Thanksgiving or I'm going to work during Thanksgiving. So I'm, I'm assuming you are too. And we need to get all this done. And it becomes
0: a cluster fork. And we're not doing that. So I, do you agree? For me, it'll either be everyone's like, where are all of these things? We need all of these things. We're working or the opposite where you hear from no one, no one's emailing you. You're getting responses from no one. No work is being done. So I feel like you either get it the extreme way on one side or the other. Either everyone's on that work status or everyone's like mm-hmm. collective break across the board. Thanks.
1: Okay, yeah, that makes me that makes me feel better. I feel like people are scrambling and then once December 1st hits, everybody's like, it's like the corporate, um, the content creators that are so funny, Natalie Corporate, I love her. She says, she makes a video and it's like, we'll push that off till, um After the new year, after the new year, after the new year. So, yeah, I I definitely think that happens. But anyway, because that happens, this week I am in the midst of evaluating my schedule, evaluating things that I do. And if there's anything that is really just giving me bad vibes, don't worry, I'll give a behavior analytic explanation of how to assess that. I'm throwing it out. I'm sending very polite emails. I'm reaching out to people. I'm saying, hey, I can't do this right now. I appreciate you. I've gained a lot of insight. I need to bow out until next semester. Thinking that people would be upset with me, spoiler alert, nobody cared, nobody was upset. So that's good to know. I'm gonna continue to keep doing that. In the behavior analytic version of throwing out bad energy, not attending events, or spending time doing tasks that are not serving you during this holiday season before the new year, you can use the temp scale. And this is what I learned from Dr. Kristen Peterson. I will attach the um, citation in the description so everyone can access it, but it's just a aversive versus enjoyable task scale. It's very simple. It's from one to seven. One is extremely disliking a task. Seven is extremely liking a task. And it can just be a great data-based way indirect measurement way for you to assess whether certain tasks, projects, or meetings are serving you. And that's what I recommend because if if it is a score of four or below, and if you look at the scale, you'll understand what I mean. I would say throw it in the trash.
0: I'd like to take a look at that. I think that'll be really helpful, uh, well, for a lot of us in general, but specifically for our content next week when we're talking about how to set yourself up for success over that Thanksgiving holiday moving in that time scale again will definitely be helpful yay oh I didn't even think about that cool but forget about next week for now (laughs) what are we talking about today today we are busting OBM myths bang pow boom (laughs) sorry I guess I'm in a silly goofy mood today I kind of am too and I'm
1: loving it we are Taylor Swift diving deep into <laughs> OBM myths. What we mean by OBM myths, we're going to talk about things that sound a little cheeky that you know, we titled it that way for a reason. We're going to give some hot takes. We're just going to explain some things that we've heard over the years in our experience or we've interpreted that actually just aren't true about OBM. And we'd like to give some explanation r- rationale and make you feel more supported if you are interested at all in learning or disseminating OBM content
0: so before we get into the specific OBM myths that we're looking at busting here I just want to do a real quick aside step to the side with me have a little side chat now one of the things that I personally love about OBM is I think it's a secret superpower Mm -hmm. my one of my favorite phrases here is a lot of OBM is common sense (laughs) unfortunately common sense isn't too common relatable so what's great about OBM is once you realize that manipulating the environment can have an effect on behaviors in the workplace, it really becomes a sort of superpower where you can achieve the results, the outcomes, and the behaviors you're looking for. Mm-hmm. On this note, of course, as individuals who are BCBAs, managers, supervisors, professors, educators, uh, BCBADs, even those who are in those more direct worker positions, RBTs, BCABAs, BTs, we all should be aware of how our responses can shape the behaviors of others. And that's a big part of OBM, especially in that performance management realm in terms of giving and receiving feedback, having prompts, having uh, task analyses. Our responses can affect the behaviors of others and that can allow us to shape behaviors in these workplace settings. So we're gonna be talking about a bit of OBM today, but just know that our... Own responses, our own behaviors, our own actions do have an effect on the behaviors of others and the behaviors we want to see in others. The first myth we're going to talk about today is
1: punishment is always bad. This segues beautifully into a nice little corrections corner that I would love to discuss. As I was listening to our beautifully executed podcast from last week, we focused a lot on reasons to avoid using punishment contingencies in a workplace setting and how over time, if you're only using punishment or your or behaviors only maintained by escape and avoidance, that can lead to a toxic workplace environment and overall bitterness and not great stuff. That being said, what we did not mention is that sometimes punishment contingencies are arguably necessary and very, very helpful to utilize in the workplace when it comes to safety and promoting safe and equitable behaviors in the workplace. To support our claim, we wanted to provide some research examples of how punishment contingencies can promote safety and well-being. So we're
0: busting the myth that punishment contingencies are always bad. So for an example of where punishment may be beneficial would be regarding a realm of inclusion in the workplace, looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion and creating a quality workplace where everyone feels safe, secure, and welcomed. Now, this is an example that I'll normally give in presentations when I'm doing an introduction to allyship in this DEI sector. So let's think about the workplace. Someone makes an inappropriate joke or an offensive joke. Now, I think a lot of us end up Responding in a format of removing ourselves from a situation. So maybe you just walk away. Maybe you uncomfortably laugh. Maybe you look at your friend on the side and you have a side text message conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, all of those responses, walking away, doing an uncomfortable laugh, looking at your friend, these might end up involuntarily shaping the behavior that we don't want to see through reinforcement. hmm it's important for us to look at these behaviors and see, is it is it possible that I reinforce a behavior I don't like? So if we're walking away when someone makes an uncomfortable joke, that's not identifying to them that there was an issue necessarily. It's not a consequence for them necessarily. So here, an example of punishment for good would be practicing voicing those concerns in that sector. Mm-hmm. So instead of uncomfortably laughing or excusing yourself from the scenario or pretending you didn't hear it, tact it. I didn't find that joke funny. That joke made me feel uncomfortable. Did you just say this joke and repeat the joke back for them? Mm-hmm. All of those can be an instance of tacting that behavior, hopefully adding your stimulus of your vocal behavior would reduce the likelihood that that behavior would happen again. One of my big uh, beliefs in a lot of realms is that people can't know that they're doing something wrong until you tell them that they're doing something wrong. So that's where I think punishment for good really comes in. If we're seeing inappropriate behaviors in the workplace, identifying that for someone so that they can change their behaviors and be the best person, the best professional that they want to be as well. When I'm talking punishment here, it's not like, When someone makes a bad joke that they're automatically this awful person who doesn't deserve to work at this job, sometimes people just need information. Sometimes they just need to hear how other people feel. Sometimes they need to contact that education in that scope. So punishment here would be a great example of providing specifically that would be positive punishment. I'm adding a stimulus, my verbal behavior, in hopes of reducing the likelihood that this occurs again
1: another way that i've heard asking asking the question back is saying um what did you mean by that i've never mm-hmm. i've never said any of those and i've had those moments where i'm like that was not cool but i do feel like predicting hoping that i would have courage if this happens in the future i do feel like i could say i'm sorry what do you mean by that because it, it feels less aggressive to me, even though none of it is aggressive. But I love that you gave real examples of what you can actually say. Like, that joke wasn't funny. That doesn't make me feel comfortable. Did you, what did you mean when you said this? Did you just say this? Did I mishear? Um, I've also heard help me understand, which I think if you, like, if you are mindful of your tone of voice, that can come off as like
0: really aggressive or really kind I love the help me to understand too, because when it comes specifically to the example of an inappropriate joke, you then have to walk through Mm -hmm. what you thought was funny about this joke.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I think this also relates to like HR concerns, like it's positive punishment, but following through on procedures, if employees are doing things that are unsafe, especially if they're serving clients and they're in helping professions, it's important to have those contingencies in place to not
0: only protect the other staff, but
1: protect clients and consumers.
0: And as on this HR side, real quick, please loop in your HR if you're having experiences with these things, whether it's in the DEI sector, or the harassment sector, to ensure that you can feel safe at work as well. Uh, I unfortunately have experienced Workplace harassment before. I know it's not a fun place to be, um, and sometimes these behaviors will help. Sometimes these behaviors don't change. And looping in HR and making sure that you have people who are aware of the situation and helping you through it is always the a great move to take. Absolutely, and I think the biggest thing I am I
1: am learning about the role of HR a little bit more recently, and it seems like the most important. Part of advocating for yourself and ensuring that you are able to communicate with in with HR in a way that they can help you is documentation. Everything, write it down. Write the time. Write exactly what they said. Write exactly what you said. Um, I also feel like just you know, transparent moment here. There's like uh, bad vibes with like OBM and HR, and I I think it is very much a collaborative environment like i went from having the perspective of being like hr ew like i do obm and now i'm like no like i need hr to help me because they're doing amazing stuff that is not within my scope as obm that might be a good
0: future topic mm-hmm. hr and obm besties in the workplace
1: so to recap in case it was unclear <laughs> punishment contingencies are critical and necessary and can be valuable in a workplace setting Only using punishment contingencies might not be the best choice. We'd like to bust the myth that punishment is always bad.
0: Myth number two. Drum please. (laughs) Behavior operates in a bubble. Ooh, such a good one. Hopefully, by the fact that I opened by saying that this is a myth, you're already thinking, (laughs) behavior (laughs) doesn't operate in a bubble. Behavior is going to have competing contingencies, covert private events, other responses influencing that behavior. I have such a good example, I've probably shared it before, of why it's really important
1: to understand and to bust the myth that behavior operates in a bubble, because it most certainly doesn't. When you are thinking about an OBM solution, you might say, oh, what if we used Etc. let's use the example of BST. Why don't we use BST? It's effective, it's
0: advocated for in the research, there's examples of how to replicate it. So what BST is, just a real quick recap, review, refresh, it's a training system, it's called behavioral skills training that includes instructions, modeling, rehearsal, and feedback. Thank you, Jackie. Using BST might be a good
1: option. However, if you are not considering the other competing contingencies that may be in the environment, which commonly could be time, resources, compensation, other tasks that have to be prioritized, and you're asking, let's say a supervisor, to just do BST to help with the training, it works. That, number one, is going to put you in a bad spot and people are not going to like you. Number two, that is having the mindset that the behavior is operating in a bubble. You got to pop that bubble. BST could be great, but you know what you could do if you analyze the other competing contingencies in the environment? Just use feedback. Just use modeling. Use modeling and rehearsal and then pause so you're not overloading and overworking to ensure that the intervention is effective.
0: So I have two different examples here. One is dealing with something that I'm sure a lot of you have seen in the clinic, being staff performance problems are typically surrounding cleaning behaviors and session note completion behaviors.
1: I was thinking the exact same thing. Also, for note, I don't care if we leave it in or cut it. We need to do literally a literature review on all the research that's been done on session notes because there is so much there are so many solutions that we could advocate if we connected the research practice gap and made like an applied like here are
0: your options, here's a checklist because Everybody seems to struggle with that. Okay, I'm sorry, continue. Everybody. But let's talk about why. Let's talk about why session notes and cleaning is such an issue across Mm -hmm. all clinics. Let's say you are able to be on the clock from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Most clinics that I've seen or that I've worked at have the expectation that when that time is done, you are gone. You will not be getting paid beyond that 4 p.m. cutoff time. That is that. One word, Mm non-billable. So let's say perhaps your client gets checked out at 3.30. 3.30 on an average day is when the guardians come pick them up. Pretty common here between 3, 3. 3.30. Maybe today, maybe on average, the guardian is late picking up the client. No big deal. Maybe there was an accident on the way here, but now they're seven minutes late. So they show up at 3.37. Now you're doing a debrief with the guardian as to how that day went. They leave, it's 3.45. Now you have 15 minutes only to engage in cleaning of your own desk, your own client's stimuli, your own client's toys, writing your session note, and for a lot of clinics, cleaning another area in the center, whether it be a classroom, a playground, a kitchen, a mm-hmm. lunchroom, whatever that might be. So within 15 minutes now, you're expected to engage in three different sets of behavior that all are going to take more than 15 minutes when you combine them. So, RBTs have to decide which behaviors are most important. Mm-hmm. Normally, most RBTs are going to prioritize cleaning their own desk, their own stimuli, their own toys so that they're set up for the next day. Then maybe they do the session that we make at home. That's not good for our work life balance and our burnout. Maybe they stay late and they don't get paid to do it. That's not great either. Maybe they show up early the next day to do it. Not great either. But in this scenario still, now maybe they've been able to do that session note in some of their downtime, but we still never clean that additional unit that we are supposed to. Why? Because the behavior doesn't happen in a bubble. Dropping off the client is going to have much stronger contingencies than engaging in these cleaning behaviors receiving pay or not receiving pay, or perhaps being scolded for staying beyond your pay is a stronger contingency than cleaning your additional classroom. So when we're looking at behaviors like that, behaviors of our direct workers, of our performers, we need to understand that, yeah, they probably do know they should engage in these behaviors and they would like to, they simply don't have the time or the resources based off these competing contingencies. The
1: other thing I was thinking of as you were talking about this is I actually think there is a really effective test to see if you are viewing the environment in, if you're viewing behavior in a bubble or not. We're all about using assessments. In clinical work, behavior analysis, we're always taught to use assessments. In OBM, they say it's important, but it's not done a lot of the time in the research. That's how it is right now. An assessment that might be helpful in determining whether you are viewing behavior in a bubble is a picnic analysis. Picnic analysis determines the strength of consequences. It's basically like an enhanced version of ABC data collection. You take data on the antecedents, the desired and undesired behaviors and the consequences, and then you analyze the strength of the consequences as either positive immediate or certain we'll provide a citation below in the description my thinking and the reason I say this is because I did a picnic analysis in regards to doing session notes for a competency project when I was in the master's program and based on the specific environment there were no positive immediate certain consequences for staff to write session notes before they left after session. So that might be a helpful way to use an assessment. It's low response effort too. If you conduct a picnic analysis and you have no positive immediate or certain consequences and you think the intervention is gonna work, number one, doesn't seem like it's gonna work. And number two, it's a good indicator that you might need to analyze the other competing contingencies.
0: How about myth number three? What's our third myth today? Myth number three
1: is a whole set of hot takes. The first overarching myth is that just because you have taken a course or a class or listened to a lecture doesn't necessarily mean that you are an expert in that topic. That is a cheeky hot take, and we would love to elaborate. Hot take number two. Just because you've taken... An OBM course doesn't necessarily mean that you have the scope to deliver effective and value-added OBM implementation in an applied setting. And Jackie actually, as we were discussing this, provided me with the clinical version of this analogy, and I think it just further emphasizes what that hot take is and it it makes the hot take feel a little less hot so what we mean by that if you think about it you take a class on OBM and in the ideal world you're supervised in performing OBM based behaviors and results and interventions by someone who has the competency of disseminating OBM you demonstrate your skills via competencies that is supervised And then you are slowly integrated into an applied setting where you're providing those services, again, arguably with mentorship.
0: Yeah, so like the comparison here in ABA, you wouldn't take an ABA class and then immediately start working with a client who has autism. That's not how it works. You take your ABA classes, uh, you're working towards your BCBA, but you probably go and get RBT certified. You do competencies in the clinic with someone who's supervising you, who is skilled in ABA to help you through those competencies. They're giving you feedback. You are rehearsing over and over again. Then you have to go and physically test out of this to be able to work with the client per uh, some insurance, some legal standards here. But in the ABA realm, you would never take one class and then work with a client you have to engage in not just the instructions, but those modeling, rehearsal, and feedback components. So with OBM, just because you've taken one class on OBM doesn't mean we should dive in and start doing OBM interventions. My big suggestion here is supervision. Even if your supervisor at your clinic is not someone who's skilled in OBM, there are multiple OBM scope-based supervisors who are offering Availability for you to work with them to get more experience in the OBM scope. You'd never work under someone who doesn't have an experience in feeding while working on feeding. So when you're looking to do something like OBM, we need to work under someone who's skilled in OBM. Exactly. Another hot take on the
1: hot take of just having educational experience in OBM does not necessarily mean that you can just go out into the world and start doing applied work. We're advocating for mentorship, supervision, and competency demonstration. Before that is I just want to make it clear that I am super aware and (laughs) I'm happy to discuss that I do think there is quite a lot of gatekeeping in terms of individuals who have their BCBA or that are doing clinical work and pivoting into the OBM space. I think it's advertised as something that is accessible. And I would argue that it is not that accessible. I would say it's pretty hard. And so the point of us discussing this, and also the point of our podcast is to break the gate, loosen the gate, unlock the gate. But I just want to make that clear. I I don't want to be, I don't want to seem arrogant and being like, you need all of this competency mentorship. Yeah, I know it's really difficult and it's, it's definitely being gate kept. So while it is a hot take and I still advocate for the supervision and mentorship in order to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like with uh, efficacy, administer OBM with efficacy, you need to have the mentorship and the supervision. You can't just take a course and then be like, I'm an OBM expert. But I do understand that it's very difficult and that it's being gatekept.
0: If you're interested at all in a place to start. I know a lot of people speak fairly highly of ABA Technologies OBM certification course. So if you're curious on where to start contacting these sorts of materials, the sort of information, the sort of training and supervision, I'd look there. There's also other individuals like uh, Mary mentioned earlier that do supervision courses specifically in OBM. So look at what's available for you in your local, region but also a lot of these are available in an online format so just because it's not present where you live doesn't mean that you don't have access to it this doesn't just apply for you know individuals who practice OBM. i'd argue this also applies for anyone who's a supervisor Mm -hmm. just because you're a really great performer in the direct realm doesn't mean that you are a good supervisor a good manager so on that same note when you're transitioning into those roles i say this a lot for my students when you're going into that bcba role look into management practices, supervision practices. Yeah, part of that is what we do in OVM. A big part of it is OVM. But uh, make sure that when you're transitioning into a role where you are engaging in supervision, you are engaging in management of employees, that you also are contacting further training, further material, further information. Just because you've passed your board exam doesn't mean that you are now a competent supervisor. This take might be too hot to keep in, but just because you're a supervisor
1: does not mean you're doing OBM. And I don't say that to be rude. I say that to make sure that, I think that's a dangerous opinion to take because I think as a supervisor, there are probably ways where OBM can enhance your supervision, but purely supervising and not looking into the OBM literature and expanding your education is not a practice that I would ever promote.
0: And you know, we advocate for paid labor. Mm-hmm. So if you're a BCBA, you're a supervisor, you're a manager, and you want more OBM experience, talk to your company and see if Absolutely. they'll pay for you to go do a certification course.
1: Let's move into the next myth. Jackie, what is our next OBM myth that we are? How? Busting out.
0: Our next myth is in the business sector, you're just focusing on results. Just looking at the outcomes even in a workplace, even in a business, even in an organization, we need to look at the behaviors. Mm -hmm. The behaviors matter, not just the results. So there's actually a interesting study on this. Uh, I'll have to find the citation for us to include in the notes here. I feel like that's our classic thing. Like we think of things on the spot and then we're like, we'll find the citation and provide it to you. I promise. That's what I love though. We provide it every time. It's like we, we, These are coming from resources. I just (laughs) don't know it off the top of my head. So there was a study looking at weight loss. One group was focused on just the results, weight loss. The other group was focused on the behaviors. And I think they focused on uh, eating healthier. The group that was focused on the behavior of eating healthier ended up losing more weight and kept the weight off for longer Mm -hmm. than the group who is just focused on the outcome of weight loss. Now, I know that's not a business example, but it's a great elucidation that having the focus just be on the results doesn't necessarily lead to the outcomes that we want. Why? Focusing on results can lead to cutting corners, can lead to lack of ethical compliance, can lead to Lack of looping in our values, our clients, their dignities, their rights. So we want to ensure that when we are doing interventions, even in an organization, a workplace, that we loop in behaviors that are expected to achieve the results. One, we can measure and observe those and see that we're checking off our accountability as we continue. But two, we're making sure that we are achieving the results in a manner that we are proud of as people, proud of as an organization.
1: Yes, that was perfectly explained. I think this is one, this is an OBM myth that is taught. It's one of the more popular ones. So that's good. But of course we want to share as well. In re- in regards to OBMifying your life, I actually did this recently because I was really focused on working a certain number of hours per week. And then I thought to myself, wait a second, that's just results. That doesn't actually, I could be doing 40 hours of work and not actually getting tasks done and engaging in work. Related behaviors. So I included a duration metric, the results metric, X amount of time per week, in addition to X number of tasks, X number of projects worked on in how I operationally defined it. And not only is that a more accurate way of data collection and self-monitoring, it's also a really good way as a student, as an employee, as a human to advocate for yourself because in the past few weeks that I've been doing this, there are times where I'm like, wow, it's been two hours. I haven't done anything. And then I'm like, actually, I have. That just took really high response effort and it took longer than I thought and that's okay.
0: And our final myth of the day Which kind of is going to be a conglomerate, a charcuterie board, if you will. A charcuterie board of tiny baby myths. Yeah. yeah. But our final myth here, um, (laughs) I guess this one isn't a myth. This is a truth. So we'll end here on a truth and then give our charcuterie board of myths here. Our truth of the day, if your OBM isn't working, you're doing it wrong. That's yeah. our truth of the day. Our charcuterie board of myths, my favorite one, a pizza party is not a solution. A pizza party is not going to fix your problem. That mm-hmm. is my char- that is my salami charcuterie board myth item. It's always something that comes up. You'll always see salami on our charcuterie board. A pizza party is not a solution. The bumpy tiny pickles, what what are they called? Gherkins
1: are the OBM myth, pay is a reinforcer. Surprise, it's not. If you have any questions of how that could possibly be true, think about your own compensation. Does it function as a reinforcer for you? I can already tell you the answer. It's probably
0: not. Thank you so much. Surprise, surprise. It's more Uh, of like a barter. I do this for this. It's not supplemental.
1: What would we consider a feedback sandwich on the charcuterie board of myths? Tiny slices of cheese. I've gotten hate for saying my thoughts about feedback sandwiches before, so I'm gonna let you take this one.
0: I'll take the heat. I'll take the hate. I'll take the cheese as a lactose intolerant person. (laughs) Feedback sandwiches would be the tiny squares of cheese that are all over the charcuterie board. We see them everywhere. You see them more than salami. You have multiple kinds of cheese. You see these in all companies, all interactions, these feedback sandwiches. Now I get it, right? When you're giving someone bad news, you want to give them good news first. But what ends up happening when we do these feedback sandwiches is the employee ends up pairing that glow statement Mm -hmm. with the growth statement. So Mm -hmm. they end up pairing the positive and critical together. So it ends up being no longer effective. Either you go give them that good news first and they're already expecting the bad news because the good news is always paired with the bad. So either they can expect that bad news with the good news, never see good news as just a glow for them. They're always waiting for the but for the follow-up or what can happen is sometimes employees will only hear one part of the feedback. So if this were to happen to me, you give me a glow statement with a growth statement, I'm only hearing the growth statement, the critical feedback. And I'm assuming that your glow statement was not real, but was just a way to soften the blow of the growth statement. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah, so that's how Mary and I feel. And then other people will have it the other way. They only hear the glow statement and they go, well, they said I was doing great here, (laughs) great. So with these feedback sandwiches, they're not the best way for us to be delivering feedback because we're not focusing on specific sets that we're looking at. So some ways to kind of mitigate this is one, something that I've seen have had done to me before, have done to other trainees is deliver the positive feedback immediately afterwards. So when they're done, they get that glow immediately. And then, especially when we're looking at like sessions in a clinic, The next day that let's say they come in, before they go into their session, you deliver the critical feedback before their next session. So it's more of a prompt before the behavior occurs. So the day before we're focusing on what you did well, the next day, hey, just a reminder, you need to deliver your reinforcer within three seconds of the behavior taking place. I just wanna make sure you focus on that in your sessions today. That one is operating or functioning as a prompt to increase the likelihood that they engage in the appropriate behavior, this upcoming iteration, but then also helps to separate that feedback so that when it is glow, it is glow. And when it is grow, it is grow. And you're not expecting one to always come with the other. Right. And so these examples are to
1: support the fun myth statement that we have. If OBM isn't working, you're doing it wrong. What we mean by If you're in the mindset of saying, this OBM intervention isn't working, it's not that OBM doesn't work. And that's where we would say, take a step back, OBM is effective, but using an intervention and not factoring in everything that we've just discussed in this episode, the competing contingencies, previous learning history, operating outside of the bubble, it might not work. Just as we don't blame the performers don't blame OBM. If it's not working, then you need to change something and adapt it. OBM is a superpower. It's never the case where the OBM is wrong. It's just being implemented in a way that it's not being successful. That doesn't mean that the tool is less valuable.
0: And that's one of the huge perks of operating under someone who is a supervisor with a scope of OBM, When you have these issues come up, you can discuss it with them and they can provide you with insight on how to change that intervention to be more efficient for your workplace.
1: Getting more OBM supervision was the greatest decision I ever made.
0: Wouldn't be where I am without Dr. Weatherly, that's for sure.
1: Oh, so sweet. All right. Let's talk about hydration station, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. How are you staying hydrated this week? Getting my steppy steps. And getting she walking, she walking, and getting outside time specifically going to the ocean waves. I have access to that on occasion. One of my pup pups loves to chase birds at the beach, and it is arguably higher response effort because it gets darker later. It gets darker earlier, so I have to actually plan it in my schedule. And even though it takes a little extra planning, it quite literally fills my cup up to the highest heights i just stand there and watch her chase birds and take pictures of the sun going down even though i can't see it and it's so beautiful the
0: blues the pinks the
1: pups we love
0: love that for you the beach is like nothing else when you've got a dog i hear that loud and clear
1: how are you staying hydrated this week jackie I have two for this week.
0: One, my father came last weekend and I got to visit with him. So that was nice. He was only here for like a day and a half, but it was still great to see him. We went and did all of downtown where I live. So that was great getting to show him where I live now. Uh, And then I've been doing mini dance parties. Mm. I love to dance. And I realized recently that my dog does not understand what dancing is. He starts like, (laughs) whiling out and like jumping around like he's dancing too, which just tells me I need to be dancing more often. Mm-hmm. So specifically right now, what I'm fixated on is there is an AI rap by Sandy Cheeks from SpongeBob SquarePants and it's great. And that's been my fixation station that I've been dancing to in the kitchen. So my mini dance parties and my dad visiting have been it for me.
1: Wow. We love a family visit and we love moving our bodies in a happy way. Oh yeah.
0: And that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Remember to make waves, collect data, and as always, behave yourself.